Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, My mom and dad say that I demonstrated leadership abilities at an early age. And it, 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 it seems that uh, whenever I were, was given chores to do, I would get my friends to do them for me, and then I would supervise them. So, like, uh, mom and dad would send me out to weed the flower garden in the backyard, something I absolutely hated to do, and I'd be out there weeding, and my friends would come by and say, hey, want to play some ball? And we had the biggest yard in the neighborhood, so that, that's where all the ball games took place. And I would say, well, you know, I'd love to play some baseball, but i got to weed this garden. Now, if I had some help... I could knock it out and we could play some baseball. And so uh, gloves would be exchanged for gardening utensils. My parents would look out the window and there would be all of Jim's friends doing the gardening while Jim supervised the whole thing, you know. Now, maybe this is you too. Maybe at an early age you showed some leadership abilities. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe you don't have any natural leadership abilities, but my guess is that at some point in your life, you're going to get thrown into a leadership role, and you're going to have to learn leadership OTJ, on the job. Okay? It, it, it could be that you'll rise through the, the ranks at work and suddenly find yourself leading a department, or maybe you'll, you'll volunteer to be a Boy Scout troop leader or a, a, a manager of a girls' softball team or you'll lead a group of ushers at church. Maybe you'll take a job as a school teacher and find yourself leading a classroom of students or you'll become a parent, a mom or dad, suddenly leading a family of kids. Maybe you'll lead one of Christ Community Church's 300 community groups or you'll lead the, the Homeowners Association or a fundraiser for the local high school marching band. Maybe you'll lead one of our GO team trips to Nicaragua or Sierra Leone. I mean, the question is, when you're called upon to lead, will you be up to the challenge? When you're called upon to lead, will you be up to the challenge? And in the meantime, what will you do to develop your leadership chops? Now, now, the Bible is a wonderful resource book when it comes to leadership. It teaches leadership character, leadership skills, leadership principles, gives us many examples of leaders, some good, some bad. And so for the next month, we're going to go to school on the Old Testament's most stellar example in this regard. His name is Moses. So welcome to week one of a, a five-part series we're calling What It Takes to Lead. What it takes to lead. This will be lessons from the life of Moses. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Exodus. Okay, Exodus chapter 2, second book in your Bible. And if you would, take out the outline from your program and begin to fill it in as as we go along. We're going to cover almost half of the book of Exodus by the end of the series. As we get started today, let me give you some backstory to this second book of the Bible. Okay, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, ends with a focus on a dude named Joseph. Joseph. Joseph was the great-grandson of the original patriarch of God's people, Abraham. Okay, so the book closes with, with Joseph. Now, if you know his story because you, you read the Bible or because you, you saw the musical Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, uh, you know that he was betrayed 
out of jealousy by his brothers. He was sold into slavery, and he was whisked off as a slave to Egypt. And, and it went from bad to worse. He did some time in jail for a crime he didn't commit. But when he finally got out of jail, he became Pharaoh's, the ruler of the superpower of the day. He became Pharaoh's right-hand man. He became the prime minister of Egypt. But now as we begin Exodus, you've got to fast forward 400 years. Okay, there's a new Pharaoh on the throne, somebody who has no recollection of Joseph. And Joseph's descendants have multiplied. There are hundreds of thousands of Hebrews now living in Egypt, and they pose a threat to Mr. Pharaoh. And so he, he, he tries to keep them under his thumb by making slaves of them, by turning them into forced laborers. But that doesn't you know, that doesn't stop the growth. The population of Hebrews just keeps growing. So then he decrees a policy that every Hebrew baby boy, when it's born, is to be killed. Okay, so this is, this is where we start the story. This is where Moses comes into the picture. You know, Moses is born to a Hebrew mom and dad, and they decide to hide him so he won't be killed. And mom makes a wicker basket for him, and she floats him on the Nile River near the bank. And Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe one day, and she spots the basket, and she opens it up, and she sees the baby and immediately falls in love with him and decides to adopt him and gives him a name, gives him the name Moses, which sounds like the Hebrew word, uh, the verb to draw out because she had drawn him out of the Nile River. So this is the, the beginning of the story. How did this baby then end up one of the world's greatest leaders, one of history's greatest leaders? Well, over the course of this series, uh, what it takes to lead, we're going to look at five leadership characteristics that Moses modeled. Today's characteristic is calling, calling. A leader is somebody who is called by God. You have a sense that God has put me in this special leadership role. Moses was called by God, and there are four aspects of his calling that we're going to look at today. So if you're wondering along life's way, is God, is God going to call me into a leadership role? Here are four ingredients to look for. Do you see these four ingredients in your life? Okay, here's number one, formative experiences formative experiences. When Pharaoh's daughter found baby Moses in the Nile River, something amazing happened, something that only God could orchestrate. Uh, she immediately recognized the fact that she needed someone to nurse this baby. Now, it just so happened that Moses' sister was nearby. She had been keeping an eye on her baby brother in the basket, and she stepped forward and she said, I, you know, would you like me to find a, a wet nurse for the baby? And Pharaoh's daughter said, oh, absolutely. So she went off and got her mother. She got Moses' real mom. Of course, Pharaoh's daughter didn't know that. And that's where, where we pick up the story. If your Bible's open to Exodus chapter 2, let me read at verse 9. It says, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, okay, said to Moses' mom, again, not knowing it's Moses' mom, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. He's probably, Bible scholars uh, figure, eight, ten years old at this point. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God, for your holy word. 
So what, what, you know, what a start. Not only is Moses' life spared, but his own mom has the opportunity to raise him, and she's paid for it. I mean, how many of you young moms would love to be paid for raising your kids? Yeah, give me a paycheck for this. I deserve it, right? So, and Moses gets two moms in the deal, and each mom contributed something very special to his development as a leader. Formative experiences, okay? We'll start with his biological mom. What did she give him? Well, she gave him a relationship with God. Okay, she taught him to believe in God. She taught him to love God, to serve God. Uh, she, 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 she taught him to trust God even when the king of the superpower of the day is trying to annihilate you. You can put your trust in God. Uh, she gave Moses a sense of heritage, a sense of community. We learn later that he identified with fellow Hebrews, even though he was adopted into Pharaoh's family. She was the one who gave them that sense that you're part of a group of people. Okay, it's not just about you. Yes, it's the, the context of a community of people. Uh, she taught him justice. He had a finely tuned justice meter so that when he saw the, uh, the injustice of slavery going on around him, he was deeply troubled by it. So she gave him a sense of right and wrong, of morality. Let, let me say to those of you who are moms of young children right now, don't underestimate what you're contributing to the development of your kids, even as preschoolers. Really significant years in your kids' lives. What, what, what about... Pharaoh's daughter, his, his other mom, his adopted mom. Well, she gave him an education. Uh, we learn in the book of Acts in the New Testament that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. That probably is a refer reference to Egypt's famous school at the time called Temple of the Sun. Temple of the Sun was the Oxford University of the ancient world. Uh, Moses would have learned philosophy and law and literature and sciences and speech and so on. And, and Moses, most historians believe Moses was the only heir uh, to Pharaoh's throne. So he would have gotten military training. He would have gotten politics. He would have gotten foreign diplomacy. He would have gotten leadership from his adopted mom. So Moses gets a double barrel of formative experiences from a biological mom, from an adopted mom. God used these experiences in Moses' life to prepare him for a special leadership role. One of my uh, baseball heroes, uh, a guy who played baseball before I was born, a guy named Jackie Robinson. Uh, he was number 42 for the Brooklyn Dodgers, second baseman. Uh, his number has been retired. In fact, it is the only number in baseball that has been retired across all teams. If you saw the movie 42 about his life, you know a little bit about his, his background. His manager, Branch Rickey, wanted to integrate baseball. It was uh, very segregate, segregated at the time, and he was looking for a black player that he could bring up to the major leagues, and he needed somebody who would be just the right leader to break the racial barrier. And so he picked Jackie Robinson because Jackie had the formative experiences. He was a tremendous athlete. He had lettered in four varsity sports at UCLA, the, the first student to ever letter in four varsity sports at that school. He got a good education there. He went off to the Army, end of uh, Second World War, and he was sent to officer training school. 
Uh, he had a bedrock Christian faith that gave him some moral values. He had a really, really good wife. All of these formative experiences made him the right man to lead the charge when it came to the desegregation, the integration of Major League Baseball. So what about you? Okay, if, if God were to call you into some leadership role, what formative experiences might God use you know, to shape your life for that, that leadership? Maybe it's, you know, he, he placed you in a godly home. You had the benefit of growing up, knowing Christ. Uh, maybe you got a really great education. Maybe you've got certain gifts or abilities. Maybe you've been given personality traits that go with leadership, things like tenacity and courage and optimism. Maybe you've got some wonderful contacts, some friends, some mentors in your life who are shaping you for a leadership role. Do you see any evidences in your life that God may be preparing you for leadership? That's the first ingredients, ingredient in calling Okay, these experiences, formative experiences. Number two, second ingredient, failed efforts. Failed efforts. Now back to the, the life of Moses in Exodus 2. We're going to pick up the story in verse 11. Let me read a little bit to you. Uh, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Well, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and he thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Okay, Moses was right to be incensed when he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. It put his justice meter on tilt, okay? And and as Pharaoh's adopted grandson, he probably had the influence to to come up with a diplomatic solution to this problem, but instead, he just kills the Egyptian. And and then when it becomes known what, what he's done, he has to flee for his own life, and he ends up at the backside of a desert in a place called Midian. See, this was not the beginning of a good leadership resume, Right? I mean, how could God use somebody as seriously flawed as Moses to be a leader? Failed efforts. Failed efforts are sometimes the very way in which God prepares us to lead. Failed efforts often yield positive results. Results that, that we don't always experience in times of success. Let me note three of these results in Moses' life. The first was dependence. Dependence. Moses learned to depend on God and not on himself. I mean, self-dependence had gotten Moses into big trouble. Did, Did you notice what Moses did before he killed the Egyptian? Go back to verse 12. It says, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian. One one Bible commentator says, Moses looked left, Moses looked right. Unfortunately, Moses did not look up. Okay, because if he had looked up, he would have seen God, and he would have left it in God's hands instead of taking it into his own own hands, which was disastrous. 
Moses had to learn to depend on God, and this is something his failed efforts gave him the opportunity to do. Because of his failed efforts, he was banished for 40 years to the middle of nowhere, to a wilderness. You know, D.L. Moody, the uh, famous preacher of the 1800s, says uh, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was a somebody. Then he spent the next 40 years of his life learning that he was a nobody. (laughs) But that led to the last 40 years of his life when he discovered what God could do through a nobody. Go from somebody to nobody to, oh, this is what God can do with a nobody. That's dependence. You may be in a situation right now where, where your own efforts to control things have only produced failure. You may be looking at a struggling marriage or a pile of unpaid bills or an unfulfilling job or a growing list of ex-friends or a questionable reputation, something because of your failed efforts, but your failed efforts can teach you the importance of turning things over to God. That's dependence, dependence. They can also teach us resilience. Resilience. Now, jumping ahead in Moses' story for a moment, uh, Moses, we know, is eventually going to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, the ruler of the superpower of the day. He's going to deliver his people, God's people, two million strong from slavery, 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He's going to march them to the promised land. When they get there, there's going to be an aborted attempt to enter. He's going to have to live with these people, govern these chronic complainers for 40 years in the the wilderness, how's he going to do that? See, if he had gone straight from being Pharaoh's favored grandson, his pampered grandson, right into this role of leadership, he wouldn't have lasted a week. But he spent 40 years in the wilderness getting ready for the job. This is where God taught him resilience. You know, I googled this past week, leaders who failed before they succeeded. You ought to Google it sometime. Not not now, okay, but leaders who failed before they succeeded. Lots of results, bazillion great stories. I mean, you got Thomas Edison. He was asked as he was failing, one failure after another, to produce an electric light bulb. Well, what about all these failures? And he said, what do you mean failures? You know, I've merely found 10,000 ways that don't work. (laughs) Or Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan once made the statement, he he said, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I don't know how he kept track of that. I've missed over 9,000 shots. I have failed again and again and again, but that is why I succeed. So he just hung in there. That's how he succeeded. Resilience. Colonel Sanders, you know, the, the founder of our favorite Kentucky Fried Chicken, At the age of 62, he tried to peddle his secret recipe for fried chicken. He went to 1,009 restaurants and got turned down 1,009 times until he finally decided, well, I'll just start my own restaurant. Resilience. So we've got dependence, we've got resilience. Let me give you one more way in which failed efforts prepare us for leadership. Opportunities. Opportunities, failed efforts often often put us in a spot where where we're forced to come up with a new idea or where we meet some strategic person or we get asked to do something that we wouldn't have considered doing. 
See, failed efforts can be door openers. After Moses killed the Egyptian and then he had to flee for his life and he ended up in in Midian, he was uh, sitting near a well. He's probably musing on his failures when seven sisters came to give their flock a drink, but they were driven off by a roughneck group of shepherds. And once again, Moses' justice meter is you know, reacting, and so he drives the shepherds off, and he feeds the girls' flock of sheep, and they go back home, and they tell their dad what had happened. Now, their dad happened to be one of the most prominent men in the community, and their dad says, well, where is the guy? Why didn't you bring him home with you? So they go back to the well and they get Moses. And long story short, Moses ends up marrying one of the the sisters. So he gets gets a wife out of his failed efforts. And he gets a father-in-law who turns out, we're going to see later in the story, turns out to be one of his best mentors. Opportunities. So failed efforts don't automatically disqualify us for leadership, friends. You know, if, if we respond to them humbly... Listen, if we learn from our mistakes, they can teach us dependence on God, they can teach us resilience, and they can open doors of opportunity. I look at our care night ministry on Tuesday nights across four campuses. You know, it's, it's not unusual to see someone who's come back from a failed marriage now leading, leading a divorce recovery group. It's not unusual to see someone who has broken out of an addiction now leading others to freedom in some area of their lives. It's not unusual to see someone who was once stuck in the quagmire of personal grief now leading people who are struggling with their own loss. It's not unusual to see someone who was once buried under a pile of debt now helping to lead our financial peace workshop. You see, failed efforts, whatever they are, may be the very thing that God uses to prepare you for leadership if you're willing to place those failed efforts into God's hands. You get it? Good. Good. Failed efforts are part of God's calling. Number three, third ingredient, faith encounter. Faith encounter. And we're now at the turning point in Moses' life, the point where Moses encounters God and his life is forever changed. And just like Moses, in order to be used by God in a really big way, in order to be called by God into some, uh, some role of leadership, we have to have this initial faith encounter. So here's, here's how it happened in Moses' life. He was out tending the sheep one day, again, the backside of the desert of Midian, and he sees a bush on fire. Now, it wasn't unusual for him to see fire. He'd seen fire before. What was strange in this situation is that this bush kept burning and burning and burning and burning and it didn't burn out. So he went over to check it out. What's what's going on? And this is where we pick up the story. We're now in Exodus chapter 3 and drop down to verse 4. Exodus 3 verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, when Moses had gone over to look at the, the bush, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And then he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, there are several 
aspects of his encounter with God, his faith encounter that I, I, I want to draw out of the verses we just read. The, the first is that God took the initiative. God took the initiative. And friends, let me tell you what the Bible teaches about us. The, the Bible says that none of us take the initiative in a relationship with God. None of us, by nature, pursue God. None of us seek God. You, you read that. Some of you read that if you've been following our Bible-savvy reading schedule. I hope as the new year begins, you'll, you'll get into the Bible. You'll follow that schedule. We were reading in the book of Romans this last week, and that's exactly what Paul says in Romans 3. Nobody on their own seeks God. God has to come pursuing us. We marginalize God. We push God to the, you know, the outskirts of our lives, if not out of our lives completely. God has to pursue us. And we see that in the life of Moses. God lights this bush on fire. And Moses comes to see what's happening, and God calls to him, Moses, Moses. And, and, and if you're going to have a faith encounter with God, you know, here's one of the first things you've got to consider, that God is going to take the initiative. And he may call to you from a burning bush. Now, not literally, but sometimes God uses a burning bush to get our attention when we're not seeking God. You know, there's a trouble in our life, and we pray about it, and we get this miraculous answer to prayer, and it's like, oh, my goodness, there is a God. Or we've got a best friend who suddenly becomes a Christ follower and their life dramatically changes and we're like, oh, wow, this is really for real stuff. You know, or we start reading the Bible. Someone challenges us to read the Bible and we pick up one of the gospel biographies of Jesus' life and our eyes are open like, I never knew this stuff was in there before. Sometimes God uses a burning bush to get our attention. Sometimes, flip side of that, it's the fact that God puts us in a desert where we can finally hear his voice. See, when everything's going great, when our lives are filled with nonstop activity, when we've got the world by the tail, we don't have time to hear God calling out our name. And so our tendency is to ignore him, and then we hit a patch of desert. We lose our job, or our best friend moves away. We get into an automobile accident. Our, our spouse says they, they love somebody else. Our job, our, our boss is a, is a tyrant on the job. And, and suddenly we could use a little divine intervention. Suddenly we're ready to listen to God's voice. We're, we're open to what God might want to say to us. Has, has this happened to you yet? You know, it happened to me my freshman year of college. Things were going great. I loved school. Uh, my freshman year, I made a lot of friends. I ran for class president of the freshman class. I became the president of the freshman class. I was dating a beautiful girl, and then she dumped me. Now, she later became my wife, but <laughs> when, she, when Sue dumped me, I remember going back to my dorm room and with tears in my eyes, I started asking the question, what, what does God want with my life? And what role should God be playing in, in my life at all, in the, in the future? And that was really a point of surrender in my life. Now, God was calling my name. Faith encounters always begin with God's initiative. Some of you sense that today. The reason you're here today coming off of a Christmas Eve service that you came to or, you know, at the invitation of a relative or friend or whatever, you sense in the back of your mind that God is pursuing you. 
Yes, he is. God takes the initiative. Something else I notice in Moses' faith encounter with God is that Moses humbled himself. This was his response to God's initiative. Moses humbled himself. God told Moses to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Moses obeyed. Moses realized for the first time in his life just how awesome God is. And by way of contrast, Moses became aware of his own insignificance, his own sinfulness. Interesting side note here. The place where this all happens, this burning bush, is on the side of a mountain called Horeb. You can go back to verse 1, circle the word Horeb. Now, Horeb isn't the only name by which this mountain goes in Scripture. It's also called Mount Sinai. Does that sound at all familiar? Mount Sinai. Let me tell you why, why this is, is significant, okay? When Moses eventually leads God's people out of slavery in Egypt toward the Promised Land, they stop at a place called Mount Sinai, the very place he'd had the burning bush experience. And they camp out at the base of Mount Sinai. He goes to the top of the mountain where he gets the Ten Commandments from God. So these are the ten most important moral rules of life. At Mount Sinai, also Horeb. Now, what is the significance of the Ten Commandments? See, here's what a lot of people think. A lot of people think, well, these are the rules that God gave us so that if we obey them, we can earn his favor. We can be saved. We can go to live with him forever in heaven. You know, this is how it's, it's done. You, you keep your nose clean. You become a decent person. And God blesses your life both now and in the future. Well, the Apostle Paul, writing in the, in the New Testament, says, no, that is not the primary reason why God gave us the Ten Commandments. You know the primary reason we got God's laws, Paul says? It's to show us how far short we fall of God's standard. All have sinned, Paul says in Romans 3.23, and fall short of the glory of God. All you got to do is look at the Ten Commandments and recognize I'm not the moral person I think I am. I'm not as really, really good as I like to, to pose myself as being. And when we recognize that, we're finally willing, we're finally humbled. We finally reach out and say, I, you know, I need a Savior. I need God to save me. You ever ask God to do that? Have, have you ever recognized the awesome holiness of God in your own contrasting sinfulness? The Bible says this is why God had to send the world his son. Because we had made such a, a mess of our lives. And the penalty for our sins, scripture teaches, is death. And so Jesus comes to planet earth and gives his life on a cross to take the death we deserve to die. Jesus takes the punishment that should have been coming to us so that we could be reconciled to God. Have you ever been reconciled to God? Have you ever surrendered to Jesus Christ, asking him to forgive your sins and to take over the leadership of your life? You know, Moses took off his sandals. It was an act of humble submission when he encountered the awesome and holy God. Now, one more thing I want to point out about this, this faith encounter God took the initiative, Moses humbly responded, and then, and then, don't, don't miss this, God gave Moses a job to do. He gave him a leadership job. 
Now, we don't have time to read the whole story, but as as Moses was standing humbly before God at the burning bush, God explained to Moses that he had seen the misery of his people in bondage, and he had come to rescue them, and he was going to rescue them through the leadership of Moses. Moses was going to lead the charge. Wow. See, please don't miss this important aspect of your faith encounter with God, friends. When you finally surrender your life to Jesus, it's not solely for the purpose of getting your forgiveness card punched, of getting a ticket to heaven. No, God saves you for a purpose. God saves you for a mission. God's got a job for you to do. And if you're not currently living as if you're on assignment from God, then something's missing in your faith encounter. If you're not living as if you're on assignment from God, something's missing in your faith encounter. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, famous poet of the 1800s, she wrote a poem about Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. The closing stanza of her poem is is very poignant. It's also somewhat amusing. Here's how it goes. She writes, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around and pluck blackberries. I don't don't know if you follow her, her humor there. When you encounter the the awesome God of the universe, do you take off your shoes? Do you surrender your life to Christ? Do, Do you humbly receive the assignment he has for you? Or do you sit around plucking blackberries? Now, if you've had an encounter with Christ, if you've got new life in Christ, are you now content to fill your life with with shopping and video gaming and vacationing and eating out and watching ball games, even Bears playoff games, chilling with friends, working out, plucking blackberries? Now, there's nothing wrong with plucking blackberries every once in a while. But is that as purposeful as our lives get? See, a faith encounter with God is his way of calling us to serve him, his way of calling us to a mission that's so much bigger than ourselves. You get it? Good. And this leads to the fourth ingredient of calling to leadership. Fizzled excuses. We got to get by the fizzled excuses. The minute God told Moses about the leadership role he had in store for him, Moses began making excuses as to why he was not the right guy for the job. So if you're open to Exodus 3 now, drop down to verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? This is the first of five excuses that Moses rolls out in the second half of Exodus 3 and the first half of Exodus 4. Again, I don't have time to read through the entire chapters, but I encourage you to do so. You know, sometime in the next 24 hours, sit down and read Exodus 3 and 4 and circle all the excuses. Let me quickly recap them for you. Excuse number one we just looked at. You know, Moses asked God, who am I? Who am I? You you want me? (laughs) You want me to go toe-to-toe with Pharaoh, the ruler of the superpower of the world? Me? And God's response 
It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. You know, I'm the God of the universe, and I will go with you. I'll give you everything you need for the job. Now, I, you know, I need to apologize here if the, if the title for this series and the subtitle are a bit misleading. Okay, what it takes to lead lessons from the life of Moses. It makes it seem as if Moses is the central character of the story, and he's not. God is. God is the central character in this story. If he puts you in a role of leadership, if you are underconfident or overconfident, it's a sign that you're still trusting yourself and God wants to tell you it's not about you. It's about what I'm going to do through you. Which brings us to Moses' second excuse, excuse number two. He says, okay, if I go to the Israelites and I say, well, God sent me, they're going to ask, God who? So what do I tell them? God who? What, what are you like, God? And God describes a bit of his character to Moses. Again, it's rich. You've got to read it on your own. Excuse number three. Look at chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord did not appear to you? Okay, what if they don't believe me? Excuse number three. So God gives Moses several miraculous signs to perform for the people. Excuse number four, drop down to verse 10 of chapter four. Moses said to the Lord, uh, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Excuse number four, I'm, I'm not a great communicator. Leaders need to be great upfront people, got to be great communicators. And God tells Moses in the very next verse, verse 11, the Lord said to him, uh, who gave human beings their mouths? Like, don't you think I can give you the, the communication skills you're going to need in this leadership role? Excuse number five, and this is my favorite. Drop down to verse 13. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. I love his politeness. Excuse me, God. Please send someone else. <laughs> and at this point, you got to read it. You got it. God gets a little ticked at Moses. He says, okay, you want me to send somebody else? I'm going to send your brother Aaron with you. And there's a lesson here for us. And that is if God calls you into a leadership role, leadership roles are not solo roles. They're, they're roles to be part of a team. God will ensure that you get a team to go with you. He, here's the point I want to underscore as we consider all of Moses' fizzled excuses. Here's the point. It's time we stop giving God one lame reason after another as to, as to why we're not the right person for the leadership role he's called us to serve in. Or why we can't serve him at this point in our lives. You know, I don't have the time. Hear that a lot. I'm a relatively new Christ follower, you know, serving in these ways. This is for people who've been around Jesus a while. Or, you know, I wouldn't know how to begin serving, what, what role to choose. Or I don't have the gifts or abilities for the job. I, 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 until God finally says, stop it. It's not about you. It's about me. I'm the God of the universe, and I'm calling you to serve. I'm calling you to lead. I'm giving you the resources with which to do it. So start doing it. Start doing it. Let me say to you, if, if one of your hesitancies in getting involved in serving God 
If you've had a faith encounter, but you, you still have not picked up your assignment, you haven't rolled up your sleeves and begun to serve the kingdom of Christ. You know, one of the simplest ways to get started around Christ's community, go online, go to Simply Serve. You know, late, later on in this month, we're going to have a ministry fair after our services a couple of weeks in a row. You can find a place to get started, and God wants to do it through you. Let me close in a word of prayer, and then we're going to have communion together. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I want to pray, first of all, for those who've never had a genuine faith encounter with you. You have taken the initiative. You have pursued them. They're here within the sound of my voice today laying out the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. This is their moment. And I pray that you'd work in their heart right now so that they would say to you, I'm yours. So that they would humbly take off their sandals and say, yes, I recognize the awesomeness of Almighty God and my own contrasting sinfulness. And I need Christ to take away my sins. And I need Christ to become the leader of my life. God, I pray that that would, that would be the prayer that is being prayed right now from many a heart. And for those of us who claim this faith encounter, but we have been reluctant to step into the role that you've called us to, we've offered you one excuse after another as to why we can't get involved around here, why we can't serve. God, I, I pray that today we hear your voice as you tell us, stop it already. I'm God. There's something I want to do through you. I think of the words of the Apostle Paul, Lord, who, who said that we've been saved by grace through faith. However, even though it took nothing of ourselves, it was all a work of Christ, you do now call us to a work. You say that you've created us, created us anew in Christ Jesus for works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. So I pray we'd get about it. God, even as we take communion in just a moment here as we hold the bread in our hand, we hold the cup in our hand, and we recognize this is the job Jesus took on himself to serve us. May our humble response be, oh, Jesus, you've got my whole life. You've got my life. I'm in. I want to serve you. In response to what you've done for me, God, move us in that direction, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.